Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Gene Allen, and thank you, Bert, so much. A great job, as always. Could you turn your Bibles to uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1? We're going to finish off the Divine Warrior Psalm uh, that is in verses 3 through 15 of chapter 3. And uh, today we'll finish that off. We'll do verses 14 and 15. And uh, as you can see on the, on the board for the, this first session in verses, verse 14, we have the Lord Jesus Christ will cause the army of the Antichrist to turn their weapons on themselves as they confidently attack him, which is going to be quite interesting. So we're learning in these verses, three, verses 3 through 15, that they're prophetic, speaking of primarily the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. And they're basically, uh, in these verses th- uh, 13 and 14, we have a discussion, a, pro- a poetic prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ's actions against the Antichrist. And this kind of it's kind of cool because it's dovetailing into our study of uh, the Day of the Lord series on Wednesday evenings, and uh, and it's interesting. This uh, this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we'll be looking at uh, the Antichrist movements as they're recorded for us, uh, prophesied for us in Daniel 11:36 to the end of uh, to verse 45 of that same chapter. So that's a really cool section. I'm looking forward to teaching that again. So uh, we have a lot of ground to cover, and then so we'll be finishing off Habakkuk. Uh, March 3rd, Sunday, March 3rd, and then we're going to begin a new study in 1 Thessalonians. And so we'll go back to the New Testament. So uh, I'm going to do First uh, and 2 Thessalonians back to back, and then when we uh, finish 2 Thessalonians, we'll go back to the Old Testament and do two books in a row to even it up. I like to do that. And so we got a lot of ground to cover. Remember, uh, just a little reminder, on the last Wednesday of each month, uh, we have our corporate prayer meeting. We've been getting a good... Uh, uh, turnout for that, so that's going to be on the 28th of February, and uh, this uh, that's uh, we have 29 days in February, so that's cool. So the 28th, the uh, last Wednesday of each month is the the uh, the corporate prayer meeting, and also if you keep in your prayers, uh, Ray uh, Ray Perkins not here today because he was in the hospital last night, not for himself but for his granddaughter Katie, and I guess that uh, he him and his uh, son were there all night, and they finally gave her some antibiotics and. Uh, her fever went down, and she had like 104 plus whatever. So they finally got it down, and so he's been at the hospital all night. So he texted me, said, "I'm not going to be able to make it this morning because I'll fall asleep during the lesson." And I said, "Well, that's you do that. We can do that anyways. But listen to me, so I wouldn't blame him." But anyway, so he uh, he won't be here. So keep them his his granddaughter in prayer, and uh, that she has a full recovery. And I think that's about it for the announcements. And so without any further ado, I look around. You all know what to do. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another beautiful morning that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, for the grace, the faith, the salvation, your work on our behalf in eternity past, the personal work of your Son of the Cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do a mighty work through all of us here this morning. Thank you for those who are in the chapel. And uh, we just thank you, Father, for those who might be listening to the recordings at a later date. I just pray, Father, that uh, today 
that each person in the audience would be spoken to as individuals in their own walk with you and all of us as a church, as a local assembly. And I also pray that you would help them by the Spirit to learn, understand, and to uh, prayerfully consider the passages and principles that we're noting here today as we wrap up our study of the Divine Warrior Psalm in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. We thank you for this uh, book, and I pray you use this study mightily today. And uh, so I pray that uh, as a result of you people uh, learning and applying what they're being taught, uh, that they would be able to receive their necessary spiritual nourishment and continue to grow up to, to spiritual maturity and becoming an invisible hero with an invisible impact and their, and their homes and families and schools and, and a national impact, international angelic impact as well. I pray that you would help me by the part of spirit to communicate your full counsel today. And I consider it a great honor and privilege, Father, that you give me, first of all, to give me the gift of teaching, but also to uh, be able to communicate your word to the pe your people in the audience who you purchased with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago at Calvary. So I pray that uh, help me be humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction and communicating your full counsel to your people and so that they, uh, we, all of us, as a result, would might be able to praise you and your son, Jesus Christ, uh, and uh, with one voice. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. All right, in the first uh, session, as I said before the opening prayer, we'll be looking at Habakkuk 3.14, and in the second, Habakkuk 3.15, the Divine Warrior Psalm, as we've been studying, it's poetic poetry, uh, primarily prophetic, speaking of the events of the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Jesus Christ. And so this is, as I said before, dovetailing our studies of... Um, of the, uh, of the Day of the Lord series because actually verses 3 through 15 of Habakkuk are actually describing the events of the eschatological Day of the Lord we call uh, the Day of the Lord that is uh, prophetic. And so the, that uh, period of time cannot take place as we've been pointing out in both studies uh, because the church has to be removed at, uh, from the earth at the rapture because the Holy Spirit who indwells each member of the body of Christ uh, is, has to be removed because he's, he's hindering the appearance of Antichrist on the pages of history uh, through the presence of the church. So as you and I uh, listen and learn and obey perception, metabolization, application of Bible doctrine, uh, we uh, actually are uh, being used by the Holy Spirit to restrain evil in the world with the salt of the earth. So once we're removed at the rapture, then Antichrist can make his appearance and make that treaty with the nation of Israel as we've been studying in uh, our Day of the Lord series and Daniel. Daniel 9.27. So we're talking about the 70th week of Daniel uh, and, and with these, these verses in here in the Habakkuk chapter 3. So for those who might not be, uh, know, and, and maybe it always is always bears uh, repeating because not everybody gets these things right away. So it takes a while. I'm, I'm kind of have to, have to repetition as well. But you know, you know, you know that you know this stuff when you can teach others this. And so you don't have to call up Pastor Bill. So what, what was that section? Which is fine if, if, you, if you don't know this stuff, because that's what I'm here for, right? But eventually, all of us should be able to describe this to other people in the body of Christ or the unbelievers. At some point, Paul said that to the, the writer, as the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, he was complaining about the, these Jewish Christians that he was writing to, that they, didn't, they, they should be, uh, at this point, uh, on the way, well on the way to maturity and able to teach others. So the, the, the 70th week of Daniel is part of a 70 weeks prophecy that we see in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, excuse me, verses 24 through 27. A week is, it's not a literal week, it's a seven-year period. So we saw that 69 of these weeks have been fulfilled in history, and we await the, the, uh, the, um, the fulfillment of the 70th week, which again, can't take place until the church is gone at the rapture. So this 70 weeks prophecy 
was, uh, began with Artaxerxes' long Amenus' decree, the Persian ruler in 444 B.C. It's recorded for us in De Nehemiah chapter 2. And uh, so that had to do with the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That starts the 70 weeks prophecy. This prophecy ends with the second advent of Christ, all right, which we're talking about the events of the second advent of Christ and verses 14 and 15 of Habakkuk chapter 3 today. So we see that this, uh, the, the, there's the first 69 weeks, uh, they're broken out into two sections, seven weeks, which is equivalent to 49 years, and then 62 weeks, which is equivalent to 434 years. Put them together, add them together, you got 69 weeks, equivalent to 483 prophetic years, which were fulfilled right on the button, right to the day. And this is according to Jewish Reckoning of Times, 360-day calendar. This 69th week ended with Christ presenting himself in the city of Jerusalem as its Messiah, and he wept over the city. Many call it the triumphal uh, procession. I say it is not his triumphal entry, but actually his tearful entry, because he knew that the nation, the majority of the Jews, and the leaders of the Jews were rejecting him, and they already had a contract out on him, especially after he raised Lazarus from the dead, amazingly. So when he did that, that was the end of the 69th week. In fact, he said, as we saw in Luke, if you only knew the day of your visitation, and the word day is literally that day he came into Jerusalem, because we know the ex if you knew the starting point of this prophecy, and this and Artaxerxes long amenus' decree, if you were reading Daniel, and Jesus knew this, uh, he, you could have counted the days. They should have been waiting for the Messiah and knew it was Jesus of Nazareth when he came into Jerusalem to present himself as the Messiah, because it was predicted in Daniel. Okay, and we know the exact, how many days it was, right to the, right to the, the last uh, uh, hour. So then we have Daniel 9. So Daniel 9.25 has been fulfilled literally in history. Verse 24 uh, speaks of the, the sixfold purpose of these 70 weeks prophecy. And then we see after the 69th week, uh, we have Daniel 9.26 prophesies of three events that will take place prior to the 70th week and after the 69th week. That's the crucifixion of Christ, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the temple in Jerusalem. And that was in 70 AD by the Romans. And we saw in Daniel 9, 26, that the, 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 the people are the Roman people who destroyed, in Daniel 9, 26, the people there are the Roman people because they destroyed the temple and uh, the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And jo Josephus documents that uh, in minute detail to us. And then we see that, uh, uh, so you have those three events fulfilled. So after Daniel 9.26, the Daniel 20, 9.27 says that uh, there's, uh, this, uh, this ruler, uh, there's a ruler that will come from these people, the Romans, that will make a treaty with Israel. And so the contents of Daniel 9.27 have not been fulfilled. There's nothing corresponds in history to Daniel 9.27. And there we pointed out in our Day of the Lord series that the preterists, they think that revelation in this passage in Daniel were fulfilled in the first century. But nothing in the first century, and there's no Roman ruler, Vespasian, or we went through all these guys in our Day of the Lord series, that can, uh, can meet the qualifications that are found in this prophecy. So the 70th week of Daniel is basically broken out into two sections as well, two three-and-a-half-year sections. Again, the Jewish reckoning of time, 360-day calendar, three-and-a-half years, 1,260 days, 42 months, or as Daniel 7.21 says, time times and a half time. Time being uh, one year times two years, half time, half a year. So there you have it. So it's all over Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, the last three-and-a-half years of the 70th week, which actually Jesus says... And the older translations make this clear. He called it, uh, in Matthew 24, it is all of a discourse, the time of Israel's great tribu uh, tribulation, that such as the world has never seen before. And if he didn't come back, no human being would be left alive, he said. So that's, uh, when he says that in Matthew 24, 
That's what begins the seven seal trumpet and bull judgments that are poured out upon the earth that are recorded for us in Daniel chapter six, Revelation six to eighteen. Uh, these uh, they, they express the wrath of the Lamb and the Father as the righteous indignation of God against the inhabitants of the earth. And so we see that, this, uh, that what starts the, the great tri tribulation uh, after uh, three and a half years into this uh, this uh, this seven year period, the seventieth week, Antichrist breaks the treaty. So he, that means he has access to Jerusalem. He probably helped him build the temple, which would be where the, the Jewish mosque is up there, where the Jews, after the 67 war, uh, they can't go up there and pray. There's a, they'd be arrested. So that one day is not going to be there. There's going to be a temple there. In fact, that's on the site where uh, Solomon's temple was, Zerubbabel's temple, which became Herod's temple. We know archaeologically it's in that right underneath there. And so once that, we don't know how that, that mosque is going to be removed, the, the Dome of the Rock, but it's going to be gone. So it doesn't really matter because we won't be here anyways. Uh, so we see that the Antichrist breaks this treaty and there's two abominations. And the, there's the word abominations in the plural in Daniel 9.27. Uh, the NIV has a singular and they're incorrect to do that. It's plural because there's two abominations. One, Paul talks about in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, Antichrist will sit down on the, uh, the rebuilt in the rebuilt temple on the, and the, the, the Ark of the Covenant will be rebuilt and on the mercy seat. He will s sit between the cherubim, okay? And he's imitating God speaking to Moses in the tabernacle, okay? So that's an abomination. He's sitting down, okay? The other abomination is created by the false prophet, who I believe would probably be one of the popes, because this Antichrist can be a Roman, so who's in Rome but the Roman Catholic Church and Revelation uh, 13, which is verses 14 and 15. The second beast of Revelation 13 is the uh, false prophet, and he is actually comes as a lamb. So I think because he, he, uh, the Antichrist is a Roman, probably one of the popes is going to be a, uh, uh, the false prophet. I remember in the Reformation, like Luther and Calvin, because they came out, they were former Catholic priests, they always thought one of the popes was going to be the Antichrist. I don't think that, that's the case at all. So we have this going on. And so uh, that, and, and, and Jesus says in Matthew 24, is all of a discourse, when you see the, that, the abomination which causes desolation standing in the temple, not him, not Antichrist sitting, but standing. Then he says to the Jews living at that time, this, that generation, you need to run for the hills. And that will be the final dispersion of the Jewish people. And what brings it to an end is the second advent of Jesus Christ. It's different from the rapture. There's two comings of Christ to the earth. One, he touches the earth, and one, he doesn't. The rapture, he never touches the earth. The passages about the rapture, which we'll be studying in the Day of the Lord series, when the different views of the rapture, which we'll be studying in the future, are very important. Uh, Revelation, uh, excuse me, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, the Lord talks about it for the first time. And in fact, he doesn't talk about the church age until only once in Matthew 16. Upon this rock I shall build my church, Peter. And he says in John 13 to 14, 15, 16, and 17, he talks about the church age for the first time. And so when he does that, he talks about the rapture in the first three verses of chapter 14. And then Paul starts talking about it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, it's the resurrection of the church. And Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58 the big resurrection passage, and he says, that's a mystery not known to Old Testament saints. 
And then he talks about the timing of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then a split second later, those who are left alive on the earth at the time of the rapture uh, will be uh, translated as well and receive a resurrection body at that time. And then there's the Bama seat, and then we, uh, we're brought in debt to the throne room of God, uh, to the Father. So we see that, uh, that, uh, uh, that the rapture is also talked about in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, talking about the omnipotence of Christ and giving us our resurrection bodies. And uh, also we see that Paul talks about the relationship of uh, the rapture to uh, the, the, the day of the Lord, the eschatological day of the Lord that we're talking about. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 1, 10, he says we're delivered from the wrath to come. And he's not talking about the, the lake of fire. He says we're destined in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 for salvation. And that's the perfection of our salvation in a resurrection body. And so uh, we also see in 2 Thessalonians 2, as we've been pointing out, verses 1 through 12, the church has to be removed before the Antichrist can appear. So the rapture triggers the manifestation of the Antichrist. And then he has to make the treaty. That treaty is what starts the 70th week, according to Daniel 9.27. So like, here's the chart there we've been doing in our, in, our, in, in our Wednesday classes, this whole subject. So I'm bringing this all out because what we're talking about in, in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15, which we're going to finish off today, is the second advent of Christ. And remember, the second advent of Christ is again different from the rapture because again the rapture Christ touches the earth uh, at the uh, at the second advent but at the rapture he doesn't he never touches the earth we see also that uh, it's a mystery Old Testament saints did not know about the rapture of the church uh, the church the rapture delivers the church from the tribulation the second advent delivers uh, the nation of Israel from the Antichrist and Satan and his fallen angels. At the second advent. At the second advent, everybody in the earth will see him. At the rapture, only the church sees him. So there's very, also, the second advent is preceded by signs. This is very important. It's preceded by signs. And Israel will know there are signs leading up to his second advent. And so the rapture, though, there's no signs. None. It's imminent. That's all we're told. Why? So that we'll live the spiritual life. That will be have a sense of urgency, knowing that he could come back at any moment. Not to mention we could die at any moment. You don't know the day you're going to die, neither am I. Or the hour, but he does. So this is very important. Now, again, prophecy, very important. We've been talking about this, this whole point about prophecy. We need to keep this in mind. One, one reason why we should study prophecy, first and foremost, it's in God's word. We have over, like two-thirds prophecy is left to be fulfilled. If Jesus, if they, if God has fulfilled the first third of uh, three, uh, one-third of prophecies that are in the Bible, literally, I think he's going to do the rest. So what's interesting is that uh, also, by learning these things, not only is it benefiting us, because it tells us what God's going to do in the future and how we should relate to it. You know, as Peter said, when we started off our Day of the Lord series in Second, uh, Second Peter 3, and he's talking about the Day of the Lord in relation to the new heavens and the new earth, because the Day of the Lord talks about that too, that, that whole prophecy. And he said, how should we live? So we should live in a manner, in a godly fashion, keeping short accounts with God, confessing our sins immediately, and learning and obeying God's word. Learning his word, having faith in his word, which produces obedience to the various commands and prohibitions of scripture. Or in other words, as many of us have learned, perception, metabolization, and application of the word of God. And so that will be to grow up to maturity. And so this should be motivating us, knowing that God would, not only what God's done for us in our justification, 
through the baptism of the Spirit, about what he's going to do for us in the future, give us a resurrection body, rewards for faithful service. And at the second advent, we come back, the church comes back with Christ, and we reign with Christ. We have, we're part of the new humanity. This is incredible, you know. I've been bringing this out in my Ephesians series, a book we're going to study here with Western Bible Studies. I'm doing Ephesians, and we're going to do it here. And it's incredible because if you read chapters 2 and 3 of that book, Paul talks about Jew and Gentiles are part of this new humanity. And chapter 5, he says, we're the bride of Christ. And remember, Adam and Eve were designed to rule over the works of God's hands, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But we see in Hebrews 2, Paul says, we don't see that right now, all things subjected to, to mankind. Why? Why? Because Satan has usurped the authority of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's why he's called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 1, 1 John 5.19, a whole world is under his power. And he offered up the kingdoms of the world to Christ in his temptation. And Luke 4.6, 4, and Jesus emphatically rebuked him. But he wouldn't have had, if he, that temptation would not be legitimate if it wasn't the fact that he did have that kind of power and authority at that time, and he did. And so Jesus becomes a human being, the Son of God becomes a human being, and then through his, his perfect life, which fulfilled the law perfectly, which we couldn't do, and then his, his suffering the wrath of God on the cross, he suffered the wrath of God so we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God forever in the lake of fire. And that reconciled us to the Father, propitiated the Father, and redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. And then his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the right hand of the Father, fulfilling Daniel 7, 13 and 14, the Son of Man went up to the Ancient of Days, the Father, and received the kingdom. We are the bride of Christ. And so when the church started in, 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 seven, in, in uh, 33 AD, in the city of Jerusalem, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Spirit was poured out in Jesus' disciples, the apostles, for the first time. And that baptism of the Spirit is spoken about in Romans 6, Colossians, Colossians 2 and 3, and Ephesians and other places, and 1 Corinthians 12 to 13. It means that we're, the baptism of the Spirit identifies us with Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the Father. In other words, that's how God looks at us. Okay? So we need to adopt the view of, our, of, our, of his, his, his view of us and adopt it for ourselves. That takes faith. So now, every time, then the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius the Roman centurion, and him and his family get saved. All right? And so they get the baptism of the Spirit. So for the first time, Jew and Gentile believers are now on equal footing in God's plan. Because Paul talks about this. And, and Ephesians 3, 6, he says this mystery, I'm, I have this mystery, that Gentile believers are now co-heirs, co-members of the body of Christ and co-partakers of the Messianic promise with Jewish believers because of their faith in Jesus' justification and their union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit. They are now part of the new humanity. Old Testament saints didn't know about this. It was a mystery. And so you and I, every time one of us, when we got saved, we become members of the body of Christ, the future bride of Christ. So you are important in God's plan. And the whole, that's why Satan wages war against you in the church, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, because he knows you and I are going to dispossess him. And anybody who teaches this stuff is going to be persecuted for it. They don't want anybody to know this. They want, to, they want to suppress it. They want to suppress the gospel. They don't want anybody living it out in their lives. They don't, they don't want you to know the power that's already available to you and I. You're indwelt by each member of the Trinity. They're terrified of you. You're going to have 1 Corinthians 6.3. Don't you know, he says to the Corinthians, Paul, you're going to judge angels? What do you think we're going to do that at the second advent of Christ? So what we're studying about 
in Habakkuk 3, 14 and 15, is this that day when we come to dispossess Satan and the fallen angels, kill Antichrist and the false prophet, the tribulation armies, and start the kingdom. And the prayer will be finally fulfilled. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It says in Habakkuk 3, 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shigayano. Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known, and wrath remember mercy. And then we have the beginning of the divine warrior psalm. God came from Teman, the holy one from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people. You save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Selah. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Verse 16. And we have the end of the psalm, and now we have the conclusion of this tremendous book. I heard and my heart pounded, and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And in context, he's speaking of Babylon, who is going to, is the, the, they're on the verge of uh, invading Judah at that time. And the book of Jeremiah documents that invasion. So is uh, other books like Second Chronicles. So though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive tree crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. These last three verses, 16, 17, 18, are going to be a tremendous study for us in living the spiritual life. And then it says in verse 19, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. And that verse 2 is something that we'll have a great application for when we get to it. And then he says, for the director of music on my stringed in instrument. So this is lyrics to a song that was sung in Herod's temple before the Romans destroyed it. So we're looking at verse 14. So as I said before, in verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage, in apocalyptic literature, uh, language, and uh, poetic prophecy, uh, Habakkuk, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ will cause the army of the Antichrist, who is the leader of the people in there of the wicked house, uh, to turn their weapons on themselves as they confidently attack him. So as I said many times in this study, verses 3 through 13, actually through 3 through 13, that we've been studying and finished and completed, verses 3 through 15 is actually uh, not only uh, prophetic, but also poetic. It's prophetic, speaking of this, the events of the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. And at times, uh, these verses are also alluding to some of the mighty acts of God on behalf of the nation of Israel, like 
uh, under Moses in the Exodus generation. We also noted many times that, again, I, I adhere to the eschatological prophetic interpretation of verses 3 through 15 because of the contents. The contents we don't see anywhere fulfilled in the past in Israel's history. There might be some allusions to some past events, as I said before, but really it's pretty much prophetic and eschatological, and a lot of people are catching on to that in recent years because this book has been neglected by the church, quite frankly. And so uh, hopefully this will be a contribution to the body of Christ and help them understand this book, this study of ours. So Habakkuk 3.14 contains three more poetic prophetic statements which, we, which will be fulfilled uh, at the second advent of Christ. And the first solemnly asserts, and if you look at my translation of verse 14, it says, you will certainly, you will as a certainty, excuse me, pierce his soldiers' heads with their own arrows. They will storm forward in order to cause us to disperse. They shout for joy as when devouring the poor in secret. Now, you see verse 14, it talks about you will certainly pierce his soldiers' heads. Who's the his, who's the his? whose soldiers are these? Well, in context, we pointed out it is actually speaking of the Antichrist. So look at verse 13 in my translation on the board. I'll highlight them for you. You will certainly march out in order to deliver your people. The Lord's going to do this at his second advent. Your people being Israel in context, because he's writing to, to a Jew, Habakkuk. Specifically for the deliverance of your anointed one. Speaking again of the anointed one being Israel, as we pointed out. Regenerate Israel. Okay? And during the 70th week of Daniel. <clears throat> and then he says, you will strike the leader from a house composed of wicked people. And the leader there is Antichrist. And you'll do this, it says, by laying him open from head to foot. Selah. So we have a description of Jesus killing the Antichrist there. Then, verse 14, we know whose soldiers these are then. So it says in verse 14, you will as a certainty pierce his soldiers' heads with their own arrows. And we're going to see, that's talking about friendly fire. And we see in the Old Testament, if you notice in the Old Testament, remember Gideon, the great story of Gideon, I love that, when the colonel did that study one years ago when he was in Ephesians, uh, he, uh, it was uh, cool, he had, um, he had all the 185,000 Arabs sitting at the doorstep, and uh, Gideon and his, you know, his night rangers, 300 of them, and uh, they basically, uh, what God had them do, actually caused them to start turning on the, 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 these Arabs, turning their uh, weapons on themselves, the Midianites, and so the friendly fire. So you see friendly fire, the Lord causing friendly fire for the armies of Israel and Judah in the past. It's quite interesting, and he does it again in the second advent. So he makes, again, he's, evil is destroying itself. It's quite interesting. So he says in verse 14, you will, as a certainty, pierce his soldiers' heads with their own arrows. They will storm. This is fascinating. And we'll see this. Uh, they will storm forward in order to cause us to disperse, us being the Jews. They shout for joy, those who are attacking him under Antichrist's command. They shout for joy as when devouring the poor in secret. So he right here, these last two statements in verse 14 are actually describing the soldiers and Antichrist's army, which is going to be the final stage of the Roman Empire. In other words, the United States of Europe that we know today, that they're trying to do the United States of Europe, that 10 of these nations will be part of Antichrist's kingdom. And those are the 10 horns, represented by the 10 horns in the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7. And so we see here that the first prophetic statement in verse 14, as we just read, solemnly asserts that Jesus Christ will certainly pierce the heads of, the, of those soldiers who belong to the Antichrist army. And back at chapter 3, verse 13, 
uh, the word for leader there. The leader, it's the word rosh in the Hebrew. It's figurative language for the Antichrist. We also noted that the word for house, bayit, refers to the uh, house of Satan or the empire which Satan has built, uh, which opposes God. So you, most of us don't really think about this enough, but the world, this is why we're not to love the things of the world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Satan's got an empire. It's on planet Earth. He doesn't want to, he considers this his land. Okay, he considers us to be uh, what do they call those guys. Uh, uh, what do they call it? He should be on that land there. They're on that land. It's not their land. What do they call that? Squatters. Squatters. Thank you. He considers us to be squatters. Thank you, Gene Ellen. And uh, squatters. And, but the, quite frankly, the squatter is actually Satan because he's here temporarily, and uh, it wasn't given to him this earth. It was given to mankind. And so he's going to get God's going to get his way. And so we. we and so right now. Uh, we, he's, uh, he's not going to give it up without a fight, okay? And, this is, and so he knows he's running out of time here. So it, all of this speaks of a, uh, when it talks about this, uh, this house in, in verse 13, it speaks of the race of moral, rational creatures, and specifically human beings who originate from the devil and are thus his children. And lastly, we noted last week that the word for wicked people refers to unregenerate humanity who are children of the devil. Now, we see here that the one piercing the heads of these men is, of course, the God of Israel, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Since Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15, as I pointed out to you, is prophetic. And that these verses will be fulfilled in the future during the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. So therefore, this very first prophetic statement in verse 14 uh, is asserting that Jesus Christ himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or as the, Hebrew, uh, the Greek really says, the, the, the king ruling over kings and the Lord ruling over the lords of this earth, he will as a certainty, prophetic perfect in the Hebrew, the perfect tense there, the verb, is a prophetic perfect, and it's talking about the certainty of this taking place. In other words, when God says it's done, it's done. Okay, it's as good as done, even though it's, to us it's yet future. you got to remember God is an eternal now. Uh, time is, you know, he doesn't have, he's outside the time, matter, space, continuum. He doesn't need time. We're in time. He's, we're creatures. He's not. So he's transcendent of creation. So to him, he's an ever-present now. Okay? You know, meaning the past, the present, and the future to us are all just like that to him. It's a present now, ever-present now. So you're not surprising God. Okay, so he's omniscient, has all knowledge of all the facts, all the decisions that are ever made, past, present, and future, and he knows both the actual and the possible. Okay, that's your God. So therefore, this first prophetic statement is asserting that Jesus Christ will as a certainty pierce the heads of Antichrist soldiers with their own arrows. Now this would imply, people, that the soldiers in the army of this final stage of the Roman Empire will die because of friendly fire. Uh, in other words, they will kill each other unintentionally. Uh, I remember uh, you know, a great uh, soldier in American history of the South. Uh, I used to, uh, I read many books on him. Is uh, Jackson Stonewall Jackson? Uh, he it looks like it was he was hit from friendly fire, and uh, you know he, I love that cra classic line before he died is uh, uh, across the across the across the river right. And uh, so he I used to I read a lot of stuff on him, but he was a big time Christian. Most of you probably know that too, and so was uh, Lee. But uh, we see that uh, you know that um, friendly fire it happens, and it's 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 terrible when it happens, but. You know, what's going to happen here, Jesus Christ is actually going to be the cause of this friendly fire. 
is going to, when he comes back, when you see him orbit the earth with us and the elect angels, remember I told you uh, that this is going to be an incredible display of light like the world has never seen. This, the light of the sun and the moon are not going to be needed because Christ coming back unveiled his, his, his deity is unveiled. Uh, he's coming back and he's got the church and their resurrection bodies and the overcomers and decorated and rewards. And we have the elect angels and we have Old Testament saints and resurrection body and rewards decorated with rewards and the tribulational martyrs and resurrection body and decorated rewards all coming back. So this is a massive army that's going to be orbiting the earth, and this is going to the, the armies of uh, Antichrist and the armies from the east, led by China, more than likely. And you know, the, the Far East, they come across in Revelation 16, across the Euphrates River, that'll be dried up. Uh, and, uh, and so they will, uh, they're, they're waging war with the Antichrist, and then they turn their weapons off of each other and they, in, in, in Israel and point them at us coming back with Christ. And so this is going to cause them great confusion when the soldiers, human beings, more only more you know uh, mortal individuals, not in resurrection, but ought to be unbelievably like what is going on here, and it's going to cause a great panic in the armies of the Antichrist and the armies of the East. So the second prophetic statement that we have in Habakkuk three fourteen, recorded uh, here in this verse solemnly asserts that the soldiers in the army of the final stage of the Roman Empire, led by the Antichrist, will storm forward in order to cause the nation of Israel to disperse. And remember, there's a, the, the, the Israelites, are, they're, they're all over, dispersed around the globe, but you also have a small fighting unit staying in the city, okay, ever since the start of the tribulation aspect of the 70th week. And Zechariah talks about that. Okay, so they're going to be in, they're going to be uh, be attacked. But you also have Old Testament saints like Habakkuk who's coming back with Christ. They're going to attack us. So this is this is what we got the picture going on here. Now what's interesting here, if you look at in your translations of the in the NIV, it says, "With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us." Now what's interesting about this word "us," uh, it's uh, it's actually translated correctly. Okay. The first, uh, the first person pronominal suffix ani in the Hebrew, it means me. It's not, it shouldn't, it, it's literally not us because first person plural would be us or we. But this is, a, this, this is in the first person singular, okay? But yet the NIV correctly does it as us. Why? Well, we see here what's going on is that the prophet Habakkuk under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is speaking as the representative of the faithful remnant of believers in Israel. Thus, it should be translated, like the NIV has it, as us rather than me. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is who is it, who's the referent of this word us? Who are the us here? Well, we can ask a couple of questions here. Does it refer to born-again Jews living on the earth at the second advent of Christ? Or is it referring to Old Testament saints like Habakkuk coming back with Jesus Christ at his second advent uh, while they're in their resurrection bodies? Well, I would take, to, take it to be the latter. It would appear to be the case because Habakkuk is speaking of being a part of the Lord Jesus Christ's second advent and defeating his enemies on the earth. So he's now, from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking from the perspective of coming back with Christ in a resurrection body at his second advent to start the kingdom, which is the prophetic expectation of Orthodox Jews today, the Hasidic Jews, and the Jews, the, the faithful Jews throughout the century. The prophetic expectation as Israel and its Messiah will rule over this earth for a thousand years. That's the prophetic expectation. So in other words, people, what I'm telling you is that 
They are with the Lord as he wages his attack against his enemies on planet Earth. Thus, logically, speaking the referent of the first person pronominal suffix ani, translated us in your Bibles correctly, must be regenerate Jews from the nation of Israel who lived during Old Testament times, because that's when Habakkuk lived, when the Jews were governed by the Mosaic law. And now, the third and final prophetic statement that we see in verse 14 also solemnly asserts that the soldiers of the Antichrist will shout for joy as when devouring the poor in secret. That's an interesting statement. What does that mean? Well, it would imply, first of all, that the soldiers of the final stage of the Roman Empire will attack Old Testament saints from the nation of Israel, like Habakkuk, who will be in their resurrection bodies, arrogantly believing that they could defeat these regenerate, resurrection Old Testament saints for the nation of Israel. So therefore, these three prophetic statements are describing some more of the events which will take place at the second advent of Christ. So imagine that. They arrogantly could believe that they could defeat us, but they don't really realize who they're fighting. Okay? They don't really realize who they're fighting. They don't realize it. Some will probably realize it, some will not. But you got resurrect, more immortal beings, the church in resurrection bodies. Christ is in his resur- resurrection body. He's deity, okay? Elect angels, okay? So any modern weaponry that we have today wouldn't have stand a chance against us, okay? And it, what's interesting, when we come back at the second advent of Christ, the whole creation is groaning right now for us to appear with Christ in the second advent to start the kingdom because that, at that time the curse will be lifted. So you have fallen creatures at the second advent of Christ who've been waiting, as we'll see in the second session, during the tribulation period, the nations are waging war against each other, like they are today. There's all kinds of conflicts going around, and it's going to be really proliferated during the tribulation period because, as I said in the past, at the second advent of Christ, uh, before the second advent of Christ, in the midway point of the tribulation period, give you this chart here of the rapture in relation to the the tribulation period. So you see here the Daniel 70th week, and here's the rapture preceding Antichrist treaty with Israel. In the midway point, when Antichrist sits down and rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. That one abomination. Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians, right? 2 and 3. 2, 3 and 4 of chapter 2. And the, and the false prophet building this image of the Antichrist in Revelation 13. And Jesus talks about it standing in the holy place. And he tells the Jews at that time, living then, run from Jerusalem at that time. Prior, what's actually prompting that is what Revelation 12 teaches us. Satan and the fallen angels will be removed from heaven by Michael and the elect angels. In fact, there's war will be going on. So people think, you know, uh, that in heaven, uh, there's no conflict. There's going to be conflict. Satan is going to be, he's going to be cast down from, out of heaven. He has access to heaven where he, he, he makes accusations against us. Read Zechariah thir- uh, chapter 3. Look at, look at the book of Job, the first two chapters. And uh, we see that's why we need an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus Christ. So he makes accusations against you and I, and he doesn't need lies. He's got his, he's got his uh, intelligence on us. He's got fallen angels all over our lives, and especially the church, okay, more than any other group of people, the church. And he makes accusations against members of the body of Christ, and, and Jesus steps forward and says, I paid for his sins or her sins, whoever they might be. But why does he keep doing that? What do you think arrogant people do? They keep doing the same things over and over again. They're stubbornly holding to that. They're going to get it right. They're right, and they're wrong. And so Christ paid for all those sins. And so that's why, that's why he has to walk away. 
Now he's going to be cast to the earth during those last three year, half years of the tribulation period, and he know and his wrath will be poured out against the Jews. And that Revelation passage talks about that. So here you've got Satan and his angels down on the earth. You have unregenerate people under the command of the Antichrist, the armies of the, the East here, millions and millions of people uh, you know, coming in into that little area that we had know today as Israel, okay? And they're going to take their weapons off of each other and they're going to point them at us. And we see that these individuals are out of their mind. It's insanity. That's what you say. This is insanity. Yes. This is what evil does to itself. You know, evil destroys itself. God uses evil to destroy itself. Evil in the, in the end will destroy itself. When I say evil, okay, evil, you know, people think of uh, you know, sexual immorality as evil or, you know, uh, witchcraft. It's all, yes, it's all evil. But you got to understand something. You could be a do-gooder. You could be a philanthropist who is doing things in your flesh, not, not motivated by what the Spirit says, love your neighbor as your wife, you're looking to impress other people. You're looking to get brownie points with God. So that's evil. You'll live in, evil, in essence, is its independence from God. Independence from God. Isaiah 14, 12-14, the five eye wills of Satan. All of them express the idea, I'm going to live independently of God, and that's what sin is. It's not when we live independently of God. So when you do that, there's no way you're going to succeed because God, the creator, created you to, uh, to worship and serve and love him. So if you want to live, it, live in a rival kingdom, it's going to go down to defeat. It can't be successful. It never can. All right? And yet this world stubbornly goes on because it's deceived by its God, Satan, into believing the lies of this world. That health and happiness and, fi and finding fulfillment is found in sex or human relationships or being uh, approbation from people. And that's all the lies. If only I was married. If only I had kids. If only I wasn't married and only I didn't have kids. If only I was rich. If only I had a house. If only I had an, a lot of money and I could travel around. I could really be happy. If only, if only, if only my wife would stop badgering me and drive me crazy. Or my husband would stop being laying around in his bare belly and picking his nose. Okay, if only if I had better circumstances. Guess what? You are what you is. Okay? And you're going to be, whatever you come into a relationship or whatever you do, it's, okay, where are you with God, though? Okay? You know, people are talking about, I was watching this thing on Quincy Jones. friend told me about it. What a brilliant person, musical genius. Guy's unbelievable what he's done. But at the end of the day, you know, I listened to him, and he's 80-something years old, and he's, he's, he's had a couple of brushes with death. And at the end of the day, he mentioned something about God in passing. Okay, which God are you worshiping? You know, okay, so at the end of the day, you did all this in life, but did it bring glory? Did your music bring glory to God? What was your motivation for doing what you did? Now, maybe it's Jesus Christ, but I didn't get that point because he swore, he used Jesus' name as a swear word the whole movie. So I don't think so. Maybe he did that. But to me, at the end of the day, all that the, the nations are accomplishing and all the, the United Nations and all the things are just attempts to, to do things independently of Jesus Christ, we can bring peace to the earth without him. Okay? Evil. Evil. That's evil. So we see that people, this, this, this world of people that we live in the midst of, we're to show them an alternative way of living. You know, maybe some of these people will realize if they suffer enough that, you know, this world has nothing to give me. 
okay? When you realize that and that you turn to God, you know, in the movie, you know, Quincy Jones, he's always turning, he talked about turning, he had probably, his mother was, uh, uh, she was a, a diagnosed schizophrenic and everything, and it really bothered him about her. And, uh, you know, as a kid, he was, you know, uh, just had a tough time. He was in a tough plot of Chicago, south side of Chicago, and he had a, he had a rough life. You know, he could have been, he was running from, uh, you know, gangsters back then, too, him and his father. And uh, so, but his father had a good, taught him a good work ethic, and that's why he, pro, he was prolific, and he had establishment principles from his dad. But I don't see anywhere where, you know, uh, he had uh, any belief in Jesus Christ. Never mentioned his name except in a negative light when cursing. So, uh, you know, so I would sit there and, I'm, you know, I'm watching this. And, and so uh, at the end of the day, what are these, what are you, so what are you, whatever you have accomplished in this life, if, if it's not for the glory of God and to do in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, uh, an attempt to do God's will, and to, and to become like Jesus Christ, to please, please Jesus Christ, it's all dead works. It doesn't go anywhere with God. He can't accept it because it's all done with wrong motivation. It's not divine good. So you should give praise to God. We all should give praise to God that he saved us and opened up our eyes and that we might open up the eyes of other people that God would use us to open up the eyes of other people who can be delivered from this this, this blatant conspiratorial lies of Satan to block the gospel, to suppress the gospel, and the truth that Jesus is the king, and that he's going to reign over this earth. So if they don't bow down to him and give in and surrender to him by trusting in Jesus as their savior and lay down their arms, then he's going to come back and, ex and express his righteous indignation and kill them all. And it's going to be a bloodbath. So... As we close, at that time, at the second advent, at that time, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back with us, and the elect angels, the Old Testament saints, and tribulational martyrs, at that time, he will cause the soldiers from the army of the final stage of the Roman Empire, led by the Antichrist, to fire at each other with their own weapons, which we would call today friendly fire. In other words, he will cause them to, be, uh, to become confused so that they fire upon themselves. In fact, uh, if you recall, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 4 and, 4 and 14, 13, allude to this confusion breaking out among the ranks of the army led by the Antichrist. It says in Zechariah 12, 4, the New American Standard, in that day, declares the Lord, the second advent, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness, and I will, but I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the people with blindness, the peoples with blindness, plural. So Zechariah 14, 13, it will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of one will be lifted up against another. So in other words, they're unintentionally committing violence against each other because they're in total confusion and panic because of who's coming. All right, and the incredible massive power that's about to descend upon this earth, and we're part of that great power because we're indwelt by the Trinity. So these soldiers on the Antichrist will be so arrogant and presumptuous that they can defeat these immortal saints and Jesus Christ himself, that they will rejoice while waging this attack, just as the powerful often devour economically poor individuals in secret. So this, in this last prophetic statement in verse 14, the soldiers of the army of the final stage of the Roman Empire under the Antichrist are compared to murderers who lurk in the dark corners waiting to attack an unaware and defenseless person and who look forward with rejoicing for the moment when they may be able to murder him. Richard Patterson, a great commentator on Habakkuk, says the following. He says in verse 14, is particularly picturesque. 
the enemy's self-confidence is compared to certain brigands who, confident of realizing their nefarious ends, lurk with eager anticipation in dark secret places so as to set upon unsuspecting passerby. However, Israel's overconfident enemy will be rudely disappointed. End of the quote. Uh, end of the quote. Yes. Anybody who does not follow Jesus and give his life to the Lord, and when I say give your life to the Lord, I mean serving him, being a disciple, being faithful. Okay, if you don't do that, this world is nothing but a disappointment. If you haven't been on the, if, you, if you've been on this earth, I've been, I'm 62 years old, okay, so, uh, you know, you've been on the earth around that time, or even if you, have, you got to 30, okay, by 30 you kind of figured it out. Isn't that, this world is nothing but disappointment. Maybe by the time you get to 40, you realize this world's nothing but disappointments. I mean, disappointment with politi people politically, socially, economically, the whole, the whole thing is a disaster, really. It's nothing but disappointment and failure. The world is not going well. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to these people. I talked to this guy in San Diego. You, you got you, all the major cities you can see that, the opioid problem, and you see these people hanging there. You know, you see in the streets, major city streets, Boston, Philadelphia, LA, San Diego, they're like this. They're all drugged out. We have a super crisis, a drug problem, and what are they gonna do? You're gonna put them up in a motel like they're doing in Boston, and, and on the public, uh, out of the public treasury? That's what they're doing. That's not solving the problem. You get the drug cartels uh, controlling our southern border. Does our, do, do our country, does our country look like it's doing well? I don't, we all know that's not going. We're printing money like crazy, okay? We're, we're, we're totally violated all principles then found in the word of God when it comes to money. I mean, now we become, you know, we're, we, we owe other people money. Our debt's sky high, right? Okay, so how can this keep going on? We got military. These guys, they, they're, they're driving guys out of the military, and most of our young people, they can't even recruit people. How are we going to have to fight in another 10, 15 years? Me at 85, you count, you, you trust me be out there at 85? I wouldn't trust me at 85. I might shoot a few people. I couldn't be able to see any of them, you know? But uh, I'll just stand behind Bob Weekly, uh, Jack Reacher over here. He protect me. But you know, it's like it's crazy. We're out of our minds in this country. And then we get this, uh, we get this, this uh, election coming up. I don't know who, who are you gonna pick, huh? Huh? They look like a good choices, right? Well, guess what? Thank God, our God is still on the throne. I don't know how it's all gonna shake out. I know He's not happy with this world. I know we have the answer, the gospel, and the gospel can solve the social, economic, political, racial problems, all that stuff, financial, everything. Why? Because all of our problems in, roots, in its root essence is sin and Satan and its cosmic system, and only gospel can deliver us from that through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we can become part of the new humanity where God's going to say, clean this place off, to, uh, sanctify it, and then start the kingdom, and we reign with Christ for a thousand years and on into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our future. And so our job is to live our lives in a manner consistent with what we're, we're intended to be, what we're going to be as rulers, and what he's done for us in the past, and also to maybe pray that we could save more, snatch them from the fires of eternal condemnation. Because that's what happened to us. We were snatched from the flames, okay? And now, instead of being on the side that loses, we're on the side that wins. You know, when we come marching in, the saints come marching in, then the kingdom starts, and that's our destiny, people. So let's live our lives in, in a manner consistent with that.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson be a blessing to your people and bring glory to you and inspire your people, encourage your people to go forward in your plan and to know that you have everything under control and that there's a fantastic future awaiting. Uh, but uh, it must be preceded by times and tri of great tribulation on this earth. So in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.